Part two, chapter thirteen of Recollections of the Revolution and the Empire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Eighteen ten to eighteen eleven. Visit of the Emperor. I returned to Brussels after several grand dinners given in honour of the marriage, which were very boring. I set out with joy to be again with my husband and my children. The autumn and the winter passed quite agreeably at Brussels. I gave two or three handsome balls. Madame de Duras came with her daughters to pass two weeks with us. I gave them dances and took them to the theatre in the excellent box of the prefecture. They had a very good time. Queen Hortense had passed through Brussels in the course of the last journey which she made to rejoin her husband for a period of several days at Amsterdam. I saw her when she went through, and she expressed a great boredom over the necessity of going to resume her duties as Queen. As I have no pretension of writing history, I will not speak of the marriage of the Emperor Napoleon with the Archduchess Marie-Louise, I will only report what my sister told me regarding the arrival of this princess at Compiègne. The emperor was then at Compiègne with the new ladies of honour of the empress, and was in a state of boundless impatience to see his new wife. A little caleche was waiting all hitched up in the court of the chateau to take him to meet her. When the advance courier came, Napoleon rushed to the caleche and set out to meet the Berlin which was bringing the spouse so much desired. The carriage stopped, the door was opened, and Marie-Louise prepared to descend. But her husband did not give her the time. He entered the Berlin, embraced his wife, and then, having pushed her sister the Queen of Naples without the ceremony onto the front seat of the carriage, he seated himself beside Marie-Louise. Arriving at the chateau, he descended first, offered her his arm, and conducted her to the Salon de Service, where all the invited guests were assembled. It was already evening. The emperor presented, one after another, all the ladies of the mansion, and then the men. This presentation over, he took the empress by the hand and conducted her to her apartment. All of us thought that the empress was proceeding with her toilette. We waited for an hour, and then commenced to be very anxious to have our supper. At this moment the Grand Chamberlain came to announce that their majesties had retired. The surprise was great, but no one ventured to let it be seen, and we went to supper. This marriage with an archiduchesse was celebrated at Brussels with great rejoicing. The recollections of the Austrian domination were far from being effaced. The nobility of Brussels, which until then had kept aloof from the new government, attracted now by the good administration of a préfet of the aristocratic class, found the moment favourable to lay aside its former antipathy, which had commenced to be irksome. When Monsieur de la Tour du Pin learned that the Emperor was going to bring the young Empress 
to the capital of the ancient possessions of her father in Belgium, he created a guard of honour to form the service at the Chateau of Laquen. This guard was composed entirely of Belgians, to the exclusion of all French. The uniform was very simple, a green coat with amaranthine breeches. It was a cavalry corps and very well mounted. My sister came to Brussels and stayed with us at the prefecture. She was present at the grand dinner which we gave in honour of this guard, at which the ladies were adorned with ribbons of the same colours as the uniform. The emperor arrived at Laken for dinner. The next day he received the guard of honour and all the officials. The mayor, the Duc d'Ursel, presented the municipal authorities to him. In the evening there was an assembly at which I presented the ladies, nearly all of whom I knew. Marie-Louise did not address a personal word to any of them. The name of the most illustrious lady present, for example, the Duchesse d'Aremberg or the Comtesse de Merode, meant no more to her ear than that of Madame P., wife of the Receiver-General. After the assembly I had the honour of playing a game of whist with Her Majesty. The Duc d'Ursel named the cards which I must throw upon the table, and warned me when it was my turn to deal. This kind of comedy lasted half an hour. After this, the Emperor having retired, we separated, and I was charmed to return home. The following day there was to be a grand ball at the Hôtel de Ville. I was therefore somewhat put out when I was invited to dinner at La Quenne, as I did not well see how I could find a moment to change my toilette, or at least my gown, between the dinner and the ball. However, the pleasure of seeing and listening to the Emperor during a period of two hours was so great that I could not but appreciate the value of such an invitation. The Duc d'Ursel accompanied me, and as we were to go afterwards to the Hôtel de Ville to receive the Emperor, I ordered my femme de chambre to be there with another toilette already. This dinner was one of the events of my life of which I have preserved the most agreeable recollection. Here is the way in which the guests, to the number of eight, were placed at the table. The Emperor, at his right, the Queen of Westphalia, then Maréchal Bertier, the King of Westphalia, the Empress, the Duc d'Ursel, Madame de Bouillet, finally myself at the left of the Emperor. He talked to me nearly all the time, regarding the manufactures, the laces, the daily wages, the life of the lace-makers, then of the monuments, the antiquities, the establishments of charity, the manners of the people, the Beguines. Fortunately, I was well posted regarding all of these subjects. The Emperor demanded of the Duc d'Ursel, What are the wages of a lace-maker? The poor man was embarrassed in the endeavour to express the sum in centimes. The emperor saw his hesitation, and turning to me, asked, What is the name of the money of the country? I replied, An escalin, or sixty-three centimes. Ah, c'est bien, said he. 
we did not remain more than three-quarters of an hour at table on returning to the salon the emperor took a large cup of coffee and began again to talk first he spoke of the toilette of the empress which he admired then changing the topic he asked me if i found my lodging satisfactory pas mal i replied dans l'appartement de votre majesté ah vraiment said he il a coûté assez cher pour cela c'est ce coquin de le nom m'échappe le secrétaire de monsieur pontécoulon qui l'a fait arranger the emperor then turned to an entirely different subject of conversation he spoke of charles the bold duc de bourgogne and of louis the eleventh from whom he descended quite abruptly to louis the fourteenth saying that he had never been really great except in his latter years observing with what interest i listened to him and that i understood him he returned to louis the eleventh and expressed himself thus j'ai mon avis sur celui-là et je sais bien que ce n'est pas l'avis de tout le monde after several words regarding the shame of the reign of louis the fifteenth he pronounced the name of louis the sixteenth upon which stopping with an air at once respectful and sad he said ce malheureux prince at this moment someone announced that it was necessary to set out for the ball monsieur dursel and i rushed to the carriage and the horses at a gallop brought us to the hotel de ville i went up four steps at a time a toilette which was already awaited me i changed my costume and was able to be in the ballroom when the emperor arrived he paid me a compliment on my promptitude and asked me if i intended to dance i replied no because i am forty years old at this he began to laugh saying there are many others who dance who do not reveal their age like that the ball was very fine and was prolonged after the supper where everybody drank to the health of the empress the emperor and his wife left the following morning a yacht highly decorated took them to the end of the canal of brussels where they found the carriages which conveyed them to antwerp on boarding the yacht my husband noticed the marquis de trasigny the commander of the guard of honour fearing that the emperor would not invite him to take a place on the yacht where there was only room for a few persons he named him at the same time adding his ancestor was constable under st louis these words produced a magic effect on the emperor who immediately summoned the marquis de trasigny and had a long talk with him a short time later his wife was named dame du palais she pretended to be displeased over this nomination although secretly she was delighted after this trip of the emperor we resumed the ordinary train of our life at brussels the summer passed in visiting different country houses where we were invited to dine we went to antwerp to be present at the launching of a large vessel of seventy-four one of the new ones at that moment on the slipways our excellent friend monsieur malloway was at the head of this work through his position as prefet maritime 
all the details of these constructions interested me in the highest degree our son Humbert went to Paris to pass his examination it was a very trying thing for a young man of twenty years to reply to a whole series of questions which were asked him but it was even more so when the emperor seated in an armchair with the candidate standing before him took up the examination and asked you a lot of unexpected things Humbert heard the examiner say in the year of napoleon in pointing him out this is one of the most distinguished and this good word comforted him the emperor asked him if he knew any foreign language to which he replied english and italian as well as french it was the facility with which he spoke italian that decided his nomination as sous-prefet at florence towards the end of the winter of eighteen hundred and ten and eighteen hundred and eleven we went my husband and i to pass two months at paris to accompany our son Humbert, who was setting out for florence my sister fanny was at paris with her two children of whom the younger little hortense was only three months old we had left at brussels madame denine my two daughters and monsieur lally who passed for an english prisoner he was very anxious not to lose this position in order to preserve the pension of three hundred pounds sterling which was paid him on that account by the english government my dear humbert left for florence this departure the beginning of a long absence was very painful to me I was his friend as well as his mother. I was therefore desirous of returning at once to Brussels, but my husband did not think it advisable to leave Paris before the birth of the imperial child, which was expected at any moment. One evening I was invited to an entertainment given at the Tuileries in a little gallery where a theatre had been improvised. We assembled in the salon of the Empress the emperor came directly to me with an extreme kindness he spoke to me first of my son then he exclaimed regarding the simplicity of my dress my good taste and my distinguished air to the great surprise of several ladies covered with diamonds who were asking each other who this newcomer could possibly be when we entered the gallery I was placed upon a bench very near that of the Emperor. The play L'Avocat Patelin was performed by some admirable actors. The piece, which was very comical, amused Napoleon very much, and he laughed heartily. The presence of the great man did not prevent me from doing the same. This pleased him very much, as he said afterwards, in mocking the ladies who thought it necessary to maintain their gravity. It was considered a great favour to be invited to this spectacle and only about fifty ladies were present the morning of the 20th of march 1811 we heard the first discharge of the guns of the invalide everyone rushed into the street all the carriages stopped the merchants upon the thresholds of their shops the people at their windows counted the strokes we heard everyone say three 
four, five, and so on. There was an interval of about a minute between each discharge. After the twenty-first, there was a profound silence. But at the twenty-second, there were spontaneous cries of Vive l'Empereur! That evening, I dined with my sister, Madame Bertrand, and there we were notified that the child would be privately baptised at nine o'clock, and that the ladies who had been presented at court could attend the ceremony. Madame Dillon, my sister and I, went. We had to enter by the pavillon de Flore and pass through all the apartments as far as the Salle des Maréchaux. The salons were full of the dignitaries of the Empire, men and women. Everyone endeavoured to be at the edge of the passageway kept open by the ushers, where the procession was to pass to descend to the chapel. We managed to manoeuvre so as to find ourselves on the landing of the stairway. From this point we enjoyed a very rare sight, that of the old grognard of the VA guard, arranged in order upon each step, everyone wearing the cross upon his breast. They were forbidden to make a movement, but a very vivid emotion was depicted upon their stern faces, and I saw tears of joy in their eyes. The Emperor appeared at the sight of Madame de Montesquieu, who bore the child with his face uncovered upon a cushion of white satin covered with lace. I had the opportunity to obtain a good look at him. End of part two, chapter thirteen.